Hey, I want to introduce you to my friend, Steve, who's here to teach today. It's such a huge privilege for me to have him come in and teach. I know a lot of you guys know Steve. Welcome him. Yeah. For those who don't know Steve, Steve and I worked together at ACF, and then Steve what, it now works for Hyde Park Schools. I think the uh, title's Director of Spiritual Development or something. Here's what I know. Here's one of the things I love about Steve. He works with teachers and students from K through 12, and for his passion to introduce them to, to encourage them in their faith in Jesus Christ. He wants people to know Jesus. And so that's a great position for him to have. Um, the other thing I love about Steve, there are many, but the other thing that just jumps out at me is he's a guy who says he practices humility. He's, I say he's humble, but he says he practices it because, you know, a humble guy would never say he's humble, right? So he's just working at it. Anyway, you guys are going to love hearing from Steve. Oh, real quick, if you need a Bible, uh, these guys are going to come down. We're in John 15. Um, Steve's going to talk on abiding with God, and I'm excited to hear it, and I know you guys are too. Let me pray for Steve and today's message, and uh, I'll let him jump in. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for Steve being here. Just uh, love him and Jolene and their, their family, and I'm so thankful for their friendship and what they mean to me and to many in our community. I'm thankful for how you use him. And um, yeah, so Lord, we just pray right now with the full confidence that as we open your word, living and active word, that you will speak to each person. So we just ask for that. We ask that you remove distraction and that we hear from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Tom. It is truly a gift. Um, to be at Northwest Community Church this morning. Thank you guys for having me, and I am um, very humbled by the opportunity. Tom is someone I respect and love and love being with, and I love what he's done here and the way he's led you guys. And um, if I could just say while you're going, if you haven't gone already, we're going to be in John 15, um, starting with verse 1. Uh, it'll be up on the screen as well. But um, just from a guy on the outside that observes... Um, I know a lot of you, I know the church, and I see so many of you um, in, in the Hyde Park community as well. Um, but one of the things I love about the church, the big C church, right, when it started, if we look back to the New Testament and in Acts when the church started, um, I think it was intended to be a community church, right? And that's not to throw mega churches or regional churches under the bus. They have their purpose, and, and, and many of them are doing really good things, but I love a church that will invest in a community and, and wrap its arms around a community and, and love that community and, and not just say, hey, we're going to be really great, you guys come, but we'll go. We'll go into the community, into the schools, um, into the different programs in the community and be a part of that and love people where they are. And you guys do that really well. I just want to commend you for doing that. I know that's a lot about your heart, about Tom's leadership, but... Um, I want to commend you this morning. Um, thanks for loving this community and ultimately this city. Um, it doesn't go unnoticed, and God's doing great things. Um, I'm going to be in John. You guys are, are, are walking through this uh, Jim Branch book together, and, and one of the devotionals this week was on abiding. And so uh, we're going to jump into John 15 and look at that story and that text. And uh, so I'm just going to read real quick if you want to follow along. Starting in verse 1, um, Jesus is with his disciples, and he says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me 
that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit itself unless it abides on the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. My Father's glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Um, this whole word abide, just real quick in the Greek, it's a word meno, and it, it means remain or stay, right? So it's this idea of abiding, of, of being somewhere and staying there. So um, I used to run a lot. <clears throat> um, I don't so much anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm in that season of life that some of you may find yourself where I'm, I'm trying to decide if I'm ever going to run again, <laughs> right? So the knees, the ankles, the whole thing, and I'm, I'm really you know, do I, do I lose some weight and, and take some weight off of the knees and try to run again, or do I just go ahead and give up and, and say, you know, I can, I can walk, I can get on a bike, um, I can do those things. But I used to run, and, and several years ago I was running, I love running trails, and I was on, on a trail up in Georgetown, and I was running by the trail, and, and it was a trail that I was frequent with, and I, and I knew very well, and so you get into those modes, if, if you've run a lot, where you just kind of on autopilot, right, and you just run, and especially if it's familiar, you don't notice things unless they stick out, right? That particular day, I was running down the trail. And as I got close to this one turn in the trail, I saw something on the side of the trail in the dirt that I hadn't seen before. And, and so I approached it. It was red, which was odd, you know, because dirt is usually brown. And so it was red, and I, and I approached it, and I saw that there was a partially eaten apple that someone had discarded, tossed over to the side of the trail, and as I got up, I, I, it was just a really odd thing. I stopped. There were ants all over it, which is typical of an apple on the side of the trail, right? But typically what you would see is these trails of, of ants coming and taking pieces of apple and running away with them in their trail. And so, you know, as a kid, you would follow the trail and see where the ant bed is and where the ant pile is. And then you'd kick it over like a kid, right? So you could see them all scattered. And so, but as I looked at it, what I saw was fascinating. There were no trails going away from this. As a matter of fact, the ants had built their mound around and on and in the apple. So there's this dirt pile coming up, and you only saw the top of the apple, and the ants were all over it, and they were digging holes through it. They had literally taken their home and set it up on the source of their food. And this fascinated me, and so I started thinking about this whole idea. Often we as Christians have this tendency to establish our home and our world, right? And, and then we take off on the trail, maybe on a Sunday, and we get a little bit of God, right? And we go back home. Or we'll go in the middle of the week and we'll listen to a podcast, you know, and we'll get a little bit of God, and we'll come back home, or we meet with a small group. But there's very seldom that we build or establish who we are, what we are, our home, our being, 
on and in the source. And, and I was convicted by that. I was convicted by, you know, this whole idea of abiding is throughout Scripture. But I started thinking, God's desire for us, God's heart for us, is that we come to Him and we stay there. Not that we get a little bit and go off and do our thing, which so many of us have a tendency to do, but that we come and we stay and we abide and we remain. And so one of the things that I really want to establish before I jump into the text is this, this whole idea of, of us being aware of our need, right? There's a, a dependency, and, and this is part of the humility that Tom talked about that I, I am pursuing. And my dad introduced me to this idea through a book several years ago, and um, I feel like humility is the, is the first step to holiness, at the same time, it's, it's one of the most elusive things because, like Tom said, as soon as we think we have it, <laughs> yeah, we've kind of missed the idea, right? But it's this idea of becoming nothing so that God can be all. And in, in this text, we've got to realize our desperate, desperate need for abiding in the source of life itself and of being there and of remaining there and of staying there, Right? A lot of us don't think we have this need. Scott Sauls is a pastor up in Nashville, and he says this, the people who have been the most open to the riches of Christ have always been those who are the most awakened to the bankruptcy of self. We've got to be aware of our need. Otherwise, our life is going to be filled with just going to the source every now and then. When we need it, when it seems right, when our friends are going, but to take a step back and a deep breath and say, God, I need you. I'm desperately dependent on you, and you are going to be my source. And so I'm going I'm to camp on you, in you. I'm going to abide. I'm going to remain. I'm going to stay. So I'm going to go back to the text. And this whole idea, like I said, of abiding is something that um, is seen throughout Scripture, right? We can go back to the Old Testament to the very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve and he established the garden, this beautiful garden, and his presence was there. The whole idea of that was this intimate relationship with God, of us abiding with God and being with him and being in his presence. And that was how we were created. That's how we were made, right? And so our, our souls long for that because it's, it's what we were made to do is to be in God's presence, to abide with God. And so Adam and Eve take a bite of the apple, right? Sidebar, not the same apple story, right? Different apple altogether, different apple. Um, took a bite of the apple, right? And, and then the game changed, right? And so the entire Old Testament, um, after we were kicked out of the garden and out of God's presence, was us trying to get back into God's presence. So you look throughout the Old Testament, it's this time we try to be in God's presence and we get in God's favor and then we mess up and we turn our back on God and bad things happen, and then God is gracious, and God redeems us, and God comes back, and he accepts us again, and we find ourselves in his favor, and then it all happens again because we just can't get it right. You look at Moses, and, and he's with the children of Israel, right? And they're trying to be in God's presence. And God says, I'm taking you to the promised land. Let's go. And Moses looks at God and says, if your presence does not go with us, there's no use for us to go. And then God's on, I'm on top of the mountain with Moses. And Moses looks at him and says, God, I, just, I want to see your face. I want to be in your presence. It's in us to desire that, to be in God's presence. 
And so they go back down and they build this elaborate tabernacle and this tent of meeting, right? This beautiful thing made to resemble the Garden of Eden, right? But there's all of these things that we have to do to get into God's presence. And we fail over and over again. And God loves us again and he takes us back. And it's just a story of us trying to abide in God, trying to be in his presence all throughout the Old Testament. And we finally get to the New Testament, right? And this God who created us to be in his presence makes a way. And he comes to earth in the form of Jesus, in the form of a man. God made flesh, right? The word of God among us. And he lives this perfect life. He does all the things that we couldn't do, accomplishes everything that we couldn't accomplish, and ultimately dies on the cross for our sins. And he makes a way that we can abide. And this is Jesus with his disciples, and he's saying, abide in me, abide in me. So I want to go back to the text. I just want to take those first five words because in the first five words of this passage, Jesus kind of really delivers a bomb for these guys. He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And I just want to touch on that for a second because I think it's so critical to know where Jesus is coming from. Obviously, these guys have seen vineyards. Some of them may have worked in vineyards. Um, you know, their whole ministry was walking down roads and going from town to town, and I'm sure they passed vineyard after vineyard. They were familiar with the whole idea of, of growing grapes. And so on that sense, they knew what he was talking about. I am the true vine, okay? They, they got the metaphor. But bigger than that, Jesus kind of drops a bomb here, and he says, I am the true vine. Now, if you go back to Psalm 80 in the Old Testament, the psalmist says, God, you, you plucked us out of Egypt and you planted us a vine in the promised land and we flourished and then we became unfruitful. And throughout the Old Testament's idea of Israel as the vine that failed to produce fruit. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, I don't want you to miss this here. He, he tips his hat to the, the gospel message and I'm one of these guys that feel like the gospel is in every word of, of Scripture, the Old Testament to the very end in Revelation. I think it all points to Jesus. It all points to the gospel message. Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. What the nation of Israel could not accomplish, what you guys could not accomplish in trying to get into God's presence and trying to be and abide with God, I have accomplished for you. It's done. I've got you. Hear me. I am the true vine. Abide in me. I am the true vine. So there's some takeaways from this passage that I really want to share with you guys today, and I, and I want you to hopefully take to heart. But number one, as we look at this text, there is no scenario where the branch survives outside the vine. Think about this for a second. There is no scenario where the branch survives outside the vine. I want you to think of this idea of life. 1 John 5.11 says, And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. I want to share a couple more verses with you. John 1.4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated 
on the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Um, I have a saw. And I love to use my saw, right? Um, we moved into this uh, house a couple of years ago, and it's, it's not a big house. It's not a big lot. It's a little bigger than normal. It's about a half acre. And there are about 20 big oaks on this tree. And when we moved in, we soon discovered that um, the previous owner had not trimmed the trees at all. Uh, these were big oak trees for years. They were all hanging, some of them touching the ground. They were hanging so low. And Jillian knows this about me. My wife knows this about me. You may not know this about me. I love to use a saw. I love to go outside on Saturdays and cut things. And so I began to go and and start pruning and and trimming these trees. And my wife would say, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to go cut some some limbs off. And she'd come out, and she couldn't find me because the piles were so high in the yard. And, um, but this needed to happen, right? So, um, it's been an ongoing thing for two years. I continue to trim. I, I'm not there yet, but we're, we're, we're starting to lift the canopy up a little bit. You know, I'm not an arborist, but I know what it's supposed to look like, and I know how, you know, the trees are supposed to thrive and that kind of thing. Well, in December, my wife bought me a chainsaw. So you can imagine the damage that I've done. Um, but here's what I've learned. Those limbs that I cut off, they're useless at that point, right? I cannot duct tape them back to the tree and hope that they will grow. I cannot stick them in the ground and think that they will grow. At that point, they lose life. They're not attached to the source anymore, um, and they die. And so I either have to haul them off or I have to chop them up and burn them in my fireplace or in my little fire pit in the backyard. That's about what they're good for. There is no scenario, right, where branch has life outside of its source, outside of the vine. And we need to hear that, right? When Jesus says, I am the true vine, abide in me, attach yourself to me, and allow the water, the nourishment, all of those things that I am to run through your veins, and that will give you life. The vine's life must be flowing through the branches, veins. Number two, so I want you to get that. There's no life outside of the vine. Number two, there's no scenario where the branch produces fruit outside of the vine. I want you to get this idea of, of purpose. In John 15, 6, later in the same passage, Jesus says to his disciples, but I chose you and I appointed, appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. It should be eternal. It should last. That your fruit should last. And again, we can go back to the Old Testament. The whole idea of the nation of Israel was to produce fruit, and it failed to do that. And Jesus is saying, I have given you a purpose, right? Your purpose is to produce fruit. And outside of me, you're not going to do that. Outside of me, it's impossible to have any purpose that has eternal value. Galatians 5.22, right? We all know the fruits of the Spirit, right? We've all sung the little song in, in children's church. I think it's critical to know here, um, and, and I heard Matt Chandler say this in a podcast the other day, 
in, in Galatians 5.22, it's, it's not the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. It's the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. It's one fruit, right? And so the Christian that is truly tied to the vine, the follower who has found himself abiding, remaining, staying in the vine is going to produce this fruit. And it's going to look like all of those things. It's not that you're going to be, well, I'm really good at patience, but I need some work here over at goodness. The fruit, singular, is all of those things. Love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's all of those things. And um, when we abide, we are going to produce all of those things. That's going to be true about us. I did a little research um, on the, the grape plant wood or grape vine, if you will. And um, a lot of theologians spoke into this fact that back in that day, it wasn't good for anything but producing grapes. This is not a wood that you can take and chop down and go make furniture out of. It's not strong enough, right? They said it's even the last choice or the last option if you're going to burn wood. It doesn't burn good, right? So its only purpose is to produce grapes. And we need to come to that understanding that God has, has created us in Him, in Christ, to produce fruit, to produce these things to go into our society, to go in our communities, and to make a difference and to produce fruit. Um, so what it means to bear fruit, and I don't want you to miss this point either, as a Christian is to give up on the human effort to produce fruit, to produce results, and to let the life of the vine produce life in you that bears fruit effortlessly. Apart from the branch, right? I mean, from the vine, we can do nothing. Um, a lot of us will do a lot of good things in this life, but it won't have much eternal value because we do it apart from the vine. And that fruit producing becomes easier when we're attached to the vine. It becomes natural. It becomes who we are because of what's flowing through us. God has always wanted to work through us. It's not that we work and we work and we work and we do and we do and we do, and then we come back to God with these things and say, will you accept them? It's that we find ourselves abiding, remaining, staying in God, and because of that, we produce fruit, because of Him, because of what's in us now. So you got life, you got purpose. This last one is, is I think, critical, but so much fun. Um, there's no scenario where the branch flourishes, flourishes outside the vine, and that's, that's joy. Now, I want us to focus on joy for a second. There's those plants that you see, and they're doing what they're supposed to do, and they're producing fruit, and then there's those plants that are just, as we would say when we walk upon them, those things are going crazy, and they're growing like crazy, and their color is fabulous, and, and they're just flourishing. This idea of joy in the New Testament is this Greek word chara, and this is what it means. It describes a feeling of inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing that's based on spiritual realities and not circumstances. It's independent of what happens. Um, went to a wedding last night. Saw some of you there. It was beautiful. 
I love the idea of a wedding because these weddings, what happens is there's all this angst in the buildup, right? And you can even see it right before the vows are given and the couple is declared one together, right, before God and, and mankind. There's the dating and the courtship and all those angsty things and trying to decide, is this the right one, and am I doing it right, and should I propose, or all those different things, and there's, it's, it's angsty, and it's anxious, and, it's, and then you get to that day, and, and you make that covenant before God and man, and things are set, and you, and you look into the eyes of your person, right, and you're one, and it's beautiful, and then there's this great rejoicing and celebrating because it's, it's not angsty anymore because I have my person, and we're together, and before God, this is beautiful covenant. It's what it's supposed to be. That's the way God wants us to walk through life, knowing that all the angst is taken away because he has accomplished what we could not accomplish on our own, right? And when we abide in him, and we abide in him. He has accomplished those uh, terribly difficult things that we could not do on our own. And he saved us and we have salvation in him. And we can rest and we can celebrate and we can rejoice. And that's the idea of joy. And we can walk through this life regardless of circumstances because we know what's true. Because of those spiritual realities, right? That God loves us. He's accepted us. Our eternity is secure. Grace is overwhelming. We know who we are in Christ. That's a beautiful thing. Um, he says in John 15, 11, I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And I love what the psalmist um, David says because he was one who understood God's presence and, and really strove to be in God's presence. Psalm 1611, he says, in your, in your um, presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So life is found in the vine. Purpose is found in the vine. Joy is found in the, in the vine. So there's this, um, uh, typically when you're, when you're teaching a passage um, at, at the front end, you'll, you'll give the context. But I, I, I kind of saved um, that part because I really wanted you to understand um, what Jesus was saying to his disciples here. So, so John is obviously the story of Jesus, but the whole first half is um, his public ministry with his disciples, right? So calling the disciples in this public ministry, and they're walking around from town to town, and they're healing people, and they're casting out demons, and they're doing ministry. And they're discovering all of these things, and they're learning who Jesus is, and there's some persecution. There's all these different things that they're experiencing. And in chapter 13, they sit down together, Jesus and his disciples, those followers of his. And it's this real intimate setting, and they begin this conversation that, that, that starts with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. One of the most humble acts um, that can ever be done, and and he's declaring his love for them and how he wants to serve them. He's setting an example of how he wants them to serve. And then as you look through the passage, the next couple of chapters, um, you, you see Jesus talking about how he is the way to the Father. No one comes to the Father but by me in John 14, 6. Um, you see the humility and the foot washing. You see 
um, Jesus teaching them how to pray in his name when they pray. And he talks about, starts talking about how this is the end of his ministry on earth and how he's going to die for the sins of the world. And then John 15, he sits and he looks at his disciples, those that have been with him for the past three years of ministry, those that have been closest to him, those that have seen him do all of these things and that know, they know there's something special here. And so he looks at them and he says, abide in me. Stay here. Remain. I'm going to go be with the Father, but I need you to abide in me because I am the source of life. It's not really optional here. It's not like it's, it's an invitation. It's not like it's a, you know, a recommendation or a suggestion to abide. He's saying, look, if you want to truly live, if you want to truly have purpose, if you want to experience joy in this life, abide, abide in me. Now, this is the part of the message where I think it's, it's typical that we would give some application. Um, and, and I want to do that, um, but sort of in a different way, because I think it's, um, it makes sense for me to say, um, you know, abiding begins with being in God's Word, right? It even says it down the passage, if, your word, if my Word abides in you and you abide in my Word. Um, and so we, we need to be in Scripture, right? Um, it says abide in my love. We need to, to really allow God to love us so then we can go out into our communities and love other people well. And that's a part of ministry. It's a part of abiding. And he talks about being obedient, obeying my commands, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Those are all things that I could, I could just say, hey, go read your Bible, go love people better, and be obedient. Great points of application, right? Here's the deal. Um, I, I think there's uh, an act of our will, an act of submission, an act of humility that has to occur. Um, a spiritual crisis, if you will, of us declaring our dependence on God. Um, John Piper says this, Abiding in Christ means trusting Him to meet all of our needs and trusting Him to be all of our treasure. I know a lot of people that can recite the New Testament in the Greek language. Um, they can argue until they're blue in the face, you know, Arminium versus Calvinism, they know God's word, they read it on a regular basis, but they have no relationship with Jesus, and they don't look anything like him. And so before we go to God's word, we have to submit to God's word. We have to say, God, I'm reading today because I need this in my life. You are my source of life. And so we submit to God's word, and then we meditate on God's word, and God's word becomes a part of us, right? If you go back to those ants, they were on the apple, they were in the apple, the apple was in them. It's true as well with God's word. We have to be so dependent on God's word. Not just go read it because we know it's the right thing to do, or because we want to be able to argue with our friend later that day out of some certain text. We go the word because we need the word. Because the Word gives us life, right? So we have to submit to God, and we have to abide in Him. That's trusting Him to meet all of our needs and trusting Him to be all of our treasure. And it's the same with abiding in His love. Um, in order for us to love our communities well, 
in order to love our neighbors well, in order to love our family, our spouses well, we have to fully receive God's love for us. And that starts with abiding. That starts with submitting to God's love and allowing him to love us where we are so that he can fill us up so that we can then go love others well. Otherwise, it's just this grinding will that has some good days but a lot of bad ones because we're not loving people well because the source of our love is selfish. And finally, in being obedient. I, um, so many commands in God's word, but the idea, the act of the heart of obeying God is abiding in God so that our heart becomes like his. So obeying is easy. It's natural. It's not like this thing we have to do, right? So many negative connotations around the word obey. It incites this legalism and all these rules that we have to follow. But when we're truly abiding in God, when our heart is his and he is in us, then abiding becomes natural becomes who we are. And obedience is a a natural result of that. Um, I think the challenge here from Jesus, um, and I love this, if we come to the realization, one, that we are dependent, that we need him, that it's it's not just a good thing. I think any of us would walk out of here today and say, man, it's a really good thing to go and abide. I'm going I'm to spend some time abiding today. I'm going to try to work that into my schedule this week. Um, that's great. But, but to come to this, as, as Scott Saul said, bankrupt point of knowing I don't have much life outside of Jesus. And it's, it's on me to, to depend on him and place all of my dependency on him. And know that he is my source of life. We have to come to that place. That's what abiding means. It's, it's releasing everything we are and everything we have and placing it on Jesus. And can I just say this? There's rest there. There's rest there. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's what Jesus says to us. And he wants us to come to him and, and just relinquish the weight of all of who we are and what we have in this life on him so that he can fill us up, so that the same water, the same nutrients, the same blood that's running through his veins are running through ours. And we have what we need to get through the day. We have life. We have purpose. We have joy. That's what it means to abide. Let me pray for you guys. Father, we know you're a good God. We can talk about it all the time. We hear it. We read about it in your word. But God, we don't always see you, even in your goodness, as our very source of life. And I, for one, God, don't want to walk through this life just struggling to stay alive. I want to live. I want to truly live. God, I want to have purpose. I want to do what I was, Father, created to do, and that's produce fruit for your glory. And God, I want to do it with joy. 
I think about that wedding last night and, and God, just the, the level of joy in the room. And Father, may we know, may we know that that's what you created us to enjoy. You desire that we enjoy life that way. But in this passage, God, you remind us that you're the source of that joy. Father, may we know beyond a shadow of doubt and then submit to you, the vine, the true vine, Father, the source of our life, the source of our purpose, the source of our joy. May we humbly come to that place, God, and do what you will to get us to that place, Father. Each of us individually will look differently, but get us to that place where we are fully, 100% dependent upon you and not on our own self to do life. May our abiding not just be a list of things that we try to get through each day, but may it be resting in you, leaning on you, Father, submitting to you the very source of life. May we, God, just as those ants, not find ourselves going to you every once in a while to get what we need, God, but but camping on you, setting up home on you, living where you are, Father, totally submitting to you the source of life. Thank you for this community of believers, Father, and for the impact they're having on this community. May they find themselves abiding in you, truly abiding in you, the true vine. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.